1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
2: If you're going to suffer, suffer as a Christian, as you live out your faith. Not as a blabbermouth in the workplace. Looking at Daniel and his captives' responses, it's clear that we need to, like Daniel, develop a credible reputation as believers, that we take our God seriously, so that people will take us seriously and our faith seriously. I can
0: see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall
1: Well, hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues in his teaching series from the Old Testament book of Daniel. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of Daniel, chapter 1. And now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
2: Father, we, we lift up your name, we exalt your name, Lord, each and every day, in the workplace, in the home, in conversation, walking down the street, Lord, in this building, this meeting house, as your church. Help us to be beacons of light, Lord, pointing to you through everything we say, think, and do, Lord, as we look into the book of Daniel, as we draw out principles for our own application, and as we marvel at the power and the glory of a sovereign God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you weren't here last week, we kicked off a study of the book of Daniel. And, you know, those introductions to a new book study are always loaded, you know, that's behind us. If you weren't here last week, I'm not going to review everything we covered last week. Uh, But I encourage you to listen so you'll be caught up with us and we'll all be singing from the same page of music as it were. Uh, Today's message is entitled, Faithfulness is Rewarded. Because your faithfulness to God, wherever you are, wherever he's placed you, is rewarded. And I would also say, because God is sovereign, your faithfulness is your reward, that he has raised you up for such a time as this to uh, be a display of his glory. And Daniel's life certainly exemplifies that. And so today's message is faithfulness is rewarded. This is Living as Exiles in Exile, part two. Our text today is Daniel 1, 8 through 21. And again, faithfulness is rewarded. Now, sometimes you see the results of your reward immediately. Sometimes you see them later. Sometimes you don't see them in this life, but you receive your reward in the life to come. I can think of two examples I'd like to share with you today. One is that of Richard Wormbrand. War- he was the founder of uh, of Voice of the Martyrs or uh, Persecution dot org, and Richard Wormbrand endured. 14 years of savage beatings at the hands of the socialists in Romania. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, he was beaten. Just about every single day because he had the audacity to observe once publicly that the government system in his country wasn't consistent with Christianity. While in prison one day, while he was about, his captors opened the door to a cell and they found him kneeling in the corner praying. And they said to him, look, you can pray all you want to. Your God can't help you now. You're going to get your daily beating and nothing, nothing will prevent that. And he looked up to them from his kneeling position. He said, I wasn't praying for me. I was praying for you. And that statement stunned one of his captors. And eventually, uh, that captor came to Christ through Richard Wormbrandt. And when w- Richard Wormbrandt left that prison fourteen years later, that he left and left that that man left also as a believer. It was interesting because evangelism and preaching in that prison were forbidden, and they were always punished with the strictest and most severe beatings they could administer, and. I'm sure many prisoners collapsed under that pressure. And I'm sure it was a long road for Richard Wormbrand. if you've ever read his biography, Tortured for Christ. But he was faithful, and his faithfulness was rewarded with at least one soul from the guards. Was it worth it? I mean, one soul, beatings for 14 years? Well, ask the guard. It was worth it to him. And he was thankful for the ministry of Richard Warmbrand. In an entirely different context, less exciting, less dramatic in some ways, there was a man, I remember reading the account, and I, I think I read it in Moody Magazine years ago, it was a man who had five friends that he loved dearly, and he came to Christ, and he wanted those friends to come to Christ. And so he prayed for them, and prayed for them, and prayed for them, and prayed for them, and prayed for them. Two came to Christ during his lifetime. One came to Christ at his funeral service and two others years and years later. Sometimes you see the fruits of your labors. You receive your rewards in this life and sometimes you don't. But be assured of one thing. Be assured of one thing. With the sovereign God of the universe, all faithfulness is rewarded. All faithfulness is rewarded. But you do, you do have to be faithful. God will put you in a situation to be faithful and that is your reward to glorify and exalt him. And then as you are faithful, when you are faithful, you will be rewarded for that as well. But serving God, being saved by God is not a reward, it's a gift. But that gift is never to be wasted. Now, maybe you're not in prison like Wormbrand. Maybe you have a prodigal that you brought to church year after year. You pointed them toward Christ, and you never know. You, they just won't turn to God. Or maybe you have a spouse, a husband or a wife who's an unbeliever, and, and you've come to Christ, and they're just stuck where they are, seemingly resistant to the gospel. God, God asks you to be faithful. You leave the results to him, but I will tell you this, your faithfulness in some way will be rewarded. Maybe you're in public school. Maybe you're in a Christian school, nominally Christian school. And you're an outcast as a student because all your Christian friends don't really look like Christians, don't really act like Christians, and you are somewhat of an outcast. You pray, you grieve, you feel swept away by the circumstances. It's not like Daniel in his own context, but I will tell you this. Your faithfulness will be rewarded. It will be rewarded trust that and Daniel shows us that so turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1 verses 8 through 21 as we continue this series faithfulness is rewarded as we live as exiles in exile chapter 2 so to speak for clarity today I'm going to organize the message around six headings you've got them there in your notes but I'll run through them quickly now that is the resolve The reputation, the requests, the result, the reward, and the return. Let me just walk you through the story. You know the story. Most of you do. But if you don't, let me try to get you up on the same page. Daniel and his three friends are among several hundred people who are taking hostage after their country is defeated by an invading army. And they are among hostages that are taken to the capital city of Babylon to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, uh, This took place after God gave their country and its corrupt government and its stubborn, stiff-necked people into the hands of this invading army. Daniel and his three friends, and others, I'm sure, are given new names, a new language, and they are trained and indoctrinated for three years, and they are given kosher food from the king's table. Uh, Excuse me kosher food, non-kosher food from the king's table. That is food that is not ceremonially clean because it's quite possible that it was sacrificed to idols. And so Daniel purposes in his heart, along with his friends, not to betray God by eating that unclean food, that defiled food. He didn't want to defile himself. So he carefully appeals to those who are in authority. His first appeal fails so he makes a second appeal and meets with some success and that he gets his captors to allow for a 10-day trial. The trial, miraculously, is a success. The test validates his request and they, they say, okay, we'll serve you this, this vegetables and water rather than this luxurious food from the king's table. Daniel and his friends continue their studies. They excel in all that they do. Eventually, they are interviewed by the king himself to serve in his court, and God rewards their faithfulness, and he grants them service in the royal household and and favor with the king. Moreover, these upstarts, because they're new, you might say to the equation, outperform everybody in their role that's already there, that has years of seniority and experience on them, serving as counselors to the king, and the narrative ends with this very intriguing statement. Daniel one twenty one is the intriguing statement. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Why is that intriguing? Because our narrative starts here, and way over here with King Cyrus is about 73 years later, 70 to 73 years later. And so this Daniel... Serves, this serves in positions in the king's court for 70-plus years. And in so doing, he is faithful to God, serving in this pagan environment, and God rewards his faithfulness. So let's start with our first heading, heading number one, the resolve. And that begins with Daniel 1.8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. Some translations say Daniel purposed in his heart. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank, the king drank. So Daniel resolved, he purposed in his heart, Daniel made this commitment to God. He was going to eat food, so, so to speak, according to the law of God, according to the law of Moses, and Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. This was a matter of conscience, a matter of conviction. You know, they say that a man may hold beliefs, but convictions hold a man. And that's true of our faith, our living, true faith. Daniel was faithful here. He was not going to eat a meal, and this king's food would be all kind, co- it would just be five star. But customarily, the king's food would be Sacrificed to an idol, his wine would be poured over something and blessed or cursed, depending on how you look at it, and consuming it as king was considered good luck. Obviously, believers don't believe in luck, but it would be a great privilege for those in the academy, those receiving that three years of training, to eat this food, to eat from the king's table. Not so much, though, for a faithful Jew. And what's striking is, you have to think about it, we have the account of Daniel. There are probably 100 to 200 people there also, Jews, many of them. And we only have a record of Daniel and his three friends resolving not to defile themselves by eating this unclean food. One also suspects that there's more here than, than casually meets the eye. And what is that? Two words, cultural assimilation, Daniel and his friends likely resisted, whenever they could, buying into the culture, buying into the brainwashing. One commentator suggests that Daniel and his friends sought to remind themselves that they were Jews held captive, exiles. So they avoided the king's diet as a way from protecting themselves from the Babylonian culture. Why do people say that? Because Jews weren't vegetarians. And, and Jews drank wine. But, they, these men may have used their vegetarian diet, so to speak, as sort of a, uh, an ongoing fast to remind themselves of, uh, of their distinctive identity of, as God's chosen people, although they were captive in Babylon. I think there's a principle there for us. We always have to remind ourselves of who we are in this culture so that we don't assimilate too readily and accept as normal that which is abnormal as acceptable those things that are an abomination to God. In any case, this assimilation was the goal of King Nebuchadnezzar. He wanted these people to forget their heritage, to forget their identity, to, to be incorporated into the Babylonian bureaucracy so that they could perhaps help him govern their, whole, their land. And so they reminded themselves that they were exiles, living in exile, too often, many in the church today are less like Daniel and more like this world. And Daniel is a reminder that we need to be careful. Uh, in terms of application like Daniel, I think that you and I need to t- take steps to resist cultural assimilation. No, we don't have Old Testament dietary laws, and we're not Israel, and we're certainly not spiritual Israel. We are the church. But the God of this world the king of this world, or even our government to some extent, would have us to accept that which is not normal. And you know what I'm talking about today. We live in this culture of transing students and the school system of TikTok and YouTube and the media, uh, talking about gender fluidity and things like that. We had a Supreme Court just, Justice nominee recently who she said, She didn't know what a woman was because she wasn't a biologist. This is the world we live in. A world of political tribalism, of division, of demonization, of hatred between warring political factions. But we are not of this world. We are exiles living in exile who who are called to be faithful to our God. Who God has raised up for such a time as this. You're here on purpose, not by accident. And you have to resist the normalization of all these things. You know, we've moved past the discussion of gay marriage and homosexuality, and we're into a whole new world now, but all, none of that is normal. None of it. In any case, you've got to be actively thinking through what steps you will take to avoid being the cultural frog in the kettle. We as Christians, as God-lovers, as God-followers, have to purpose in our hearts deliberately, thoughtfully, biblically not to dishonor God through compromise in this fallen world. So we go from heading number one, resolve, to heading number two, the reputation, the reputation. Where do we find that? We find that in verse 8b through 11 and verse 14. Let me read this for you. This is about Daniel here. Therefore he, Daniel, asked the chief of the eunuchs, the head of the guards, the head of the the court officials, to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel, and God, the sovereign God of the universe, gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink, for why should, I, why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are your own age, so you would endanger my head with the king? That's a no. Verse 11, then, the da- then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So we have this where he asked him to test them for ten days, and it says in verse 14, So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. Subtly here, this is where good and godly people often blow it in the workplace and in the culture. They talk one way and sort of live in another. They inadvertently speak in ways that are a little bit careless sometimes, and they destroy their credibility. So where's reputation here? Well, a couple of things. When you look at this, when you think this young man, who's probably a teenager, some people actually, depending on how you interpret the Hebrew, think he could have been 10 or 11. Think about that. And he comes up to the chief of the guards, the chief of the eunuchs, the chief of the officials, and says, Look, you know, I really don't want to defile myself with the king's food. Let me tell you something. They would have slapped him down so fast it would make your head spin. That would be that. Would, you could get killed for that, expelled from the academy. But Daniel and his friends were willing to risk it. And Ashpenaz, the king's officials, would you know he he listens to him. He listens to him, and then he takes the time to explain. Look, if I do that, it could cost me my head. Where's reputation there? They observe these young men. They were scrutinizing these young men. And you want to notice a couple of things. God had given him favor in their sight. These guys knew who Daniel and his friends were. And they had a reputation for seriousness. And they offered an explanation when none was owed. And and God gave Daniel, verses 9 through 10, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs, and the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, "I fear the Lord my king." Ashpenaz owed him no no explanation whatsoever. Daniel and his friends were hostages. They their god had been defeated, their army had been defeated, their country overrun, and they were taken away, kidnapped, enslaved, and put into service. But Ashpenaz doesn't dismiss what he says. He explains his reasons for not... He explains his reasons to a slave, to a trainee, at best, a management trainee. He explains his reasons for not granting Daniel's request. I mean, how crazy is that? Why would he do that? Because, as we read also, Daniel and his friends were ten times better than the other candidates around them. Daniel was taken seriously. Daniel and his friends had distinguished themselves in some sense, in some way. Daniel and his friends weren't slouches. They didn't have a sense of entitlement. They weren't whiners. They were consistently respectful, patient, and humble. How do we know that? Because we have the testimony of Scripture, which we'll get into even further in a moment. But what has this got to do with you in the here and now? Well, you remember that passage we discussed last week in First Peter, conduct yourselves with fear during your exile. Conduct yourselves with reverence, you who call on him as father. Part of conducting ourselves with reverence, reverence in God, is living in a way that causes people to take us seriously as we live for the glory of God and the good of others in our own growth. You know, later we read in First Peter four twelve through 19, that we should be unsurprised by the fiery trials that we encounter in this fallen world as we live out, as we live as exiles. And he goes on to say, if you're going to suffer, suffer as a Christian, not as a murderer or an evildoer. And what we understand about Daniel and his friends in terms of their reputation is they weren't slouches. They were serious young men. We talked about how last time that they were the product of good parenting because somebody instilled in them this love, this faithfulness, this understanding and reverence for God's word and the God of this word. So what do you do with this? Develop a credible reputation as believers, that we take our God seriously so that people will take us seriously and our faith seriously.